Dear kind Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you today for the opportunity to come and to learn more about how we can communicate with our Pathfinder staff and with the kids. Lord, um, help us to be open to the message that messages that you would have for us. And please use me in a way that is honor and glorifying to you. Amen. Okay, so um, those of you who were here yesterday, just as a quick reminder, my name is Marcia Beal, and I am the club director for the Stevensville Challenger Pathfinder Club down not too far from Andrews University. And um, I bought 102 tickets for Oshkosh. <laughs> so I feel like I'm taking a little tribe with me to Oshkosh. Um, but um, I actually hold a degree, a master's degree from Western Michigan in interpersonal communications. <laughs> And so um, this is, and with um, Pastor Craig being very ill last week and is still trying to recover, he remembered that at the last minute. <laughs> and, and he said, Marcia, can you help me out? And so that is why I'm here today. So, oh, um, so today we're going to be talking about, we're going to start out with communication theory and listening skills. Um, probably the main focus is going to be on listening skills um, in this. Listening is actually very critical to how we communicate with each other. But first, let's just, I'm going to go really quickly through some of these slides. Your handout's got a lot of this information. Some of it I'll spend more time on, um, but I, don't I won't necessarily read everything that's on the slides. So, communication is... It's, you know, we just thought, like it says here, we often assume that if someone's lips are moving, communication is taking place. Do you agree or disagree? Disagree. disagree. Why is that? Why would you disagree? Doesn't mean you're listening. That is correct. So just because somebody's lips are moving has no bearing on whether anything is actually being said of value. So um, communication is, uh, the, the process is very important. It's one of which we add understanding to. And for instance, when we even are speaking the, the words we use, for instance, if I was to ask you, sir, um, or talk to you about a dog, in your brain, what's the image of a dog that you have? What, what comes to mind when you hear the word dog? Well, see, you and I might be talking the same language because I actually have a husky Malamute now. Um, but for others, it might be smaller dogs. It's whatever in your mind is that image, and that creates that understanding. So there's five, um, five levels of communication. The first one is small talk. I think we're all pretty much familiar with small talk the little conversation we have with each other. The next one is factual conversation. I tend to have factual conversations at work. I just want the facts at work, the things that will help me get uh, my understanding as to what is needed on the next project. Ideas and opinions. This kind of level of communication for me usually happens at church board meetings or Pathfinder staff meetings, is where the ideas and opinions come in. That's another level. The next level is feelings and emotions. Usually this is going to be happen when you have an intimate relationship with somebody or somebody you're close with. My best friend and I, we definitely have the communication of feelings and emotions. You would think I'd add my husband to that list, but I don't because my husband's not one for communicating feelings and emotions. He can't stand it when I get over-emotional. He doesn't know how to handle that. You'd think after 30 years he would have got that. Now, Carly, you cannot go back and tell him any stories. What happens in this room stays in this room. You have to understand, Miss Carla over here has known my husband ever since he was a very little boy. <laughs> and then... Deep insight. This is actually where I would put my spouse. My level of conversation with my spouse is deep insight, where we'll have some of those conversations of which, not necessarily 
there might be some feelings and emotions expressed, but the fact that he knows when I'm communicating with him, he knows my inner soul. Now, we tested this recently. Um, in March, after being hospitalized with pneumonia, I was home two days and lost my voice for six weeks. Okay. Yeah, well, they found out I had nodules on my vocal cords and stuff. But um, I would be communicating. I could, I know my alphabet for sign language, and he knows it too. So we could start out with the alphabet, and he could very quickly pick up on what words I was about ready to say or wanted to communicate across. A friend of mine, we were up at um, Michigan um, at the Pathfinder Fair, and we're sitting around the campfire, and I still don't have much of my voice at that point. And so I'm trying to communicate with her the same way. But she can't seem to guess the words as quickly as my husband could guess the words. So that's where that level of communication is goes deeper and deeper. Any questions on those? Yes, sir. Correct. I'm going to repeat your question for the sake of the recording. So the, the question or the comment basically is, is that you can actually have um, emotional and um, feelings interaction with somebody like a stranger, especially if you experience a traumatic event together. Absolutely. But that there plunges you very quickly into a deep relationship with them. Whenever you have that kind of interaction with somebody and it's connected around a traumatic experience, um, that, that's a connection that the two or more of you who are experiencing that together will always hold. And that's something that nobody else can understand. So um, let's talk about some barriers to effective speaking. So a, a barrier could be um, a solution sender. Anybody have any idea is when you hear that term, solution sender, what that might mean? Somebody who always tries to fix stuff, absolutely. And um, there will be times I have looked at my husband and I said, I'm about ready to talk and I need you not to fix this. I don't need you to fix it. I need you to let me just air my feelings about all of this. And, you know, after we've been married 30 years, so it's pretty an open, <laughs> it's an open relationship like that. And so I can get away with, with saying that. Um, uh, put downs. Any feedback on put downs? Thoughts on what a barrier to effective speech? What would be put downs? Criticizing. That would be one. Oh, turning your face away. Mm -hmm. Body language. Um, there is a phrase I can't absolutely stand. It's yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but. I, for that to me, it, you're going to negate everything that either I've said to you or the fact that um, you, you don't believe it yourself. Um, I actually, I also teach, because, you know, having 60 kids in my Pathfinder Club is not enough. I actually teach teen Sabbath school class. And um, some of the same group anyway, so. But I have, uh, I had them doing an activity recently of which they were to think of positive things to describe themselves. And this one girl was having a really hard time thinking of positive things to describe herself. And so a, her friend sitting right next to her kept telling her positive things that this she had felt about this girl. And the girl kept saying, no, you don't have that right, no. So here she was putting down what somebody else was saying about her. And I, I stopped that conversation and I said, wait a minute, ladies. You've got somebody here who has said they've seen this in you and you're putting them down so you're not validating even what their opinion is of you. And we have to be very careful of that. A corrector. <laughs> Anybody have any thoughts on a corrector? Right, so the people who, they, they always want to correct you, and but you say they have to have factual information. But one thing that I will talk a little bit tomorrow about is going to be perception and how perception plays a big role in all of this. A monologuer. How can a monologuer be a barrier to effective speech? <laughs> That's what you were thinking? 
Oh, okay. So you've experienced the monologuer. Can you tell me um, what has been your experience? This is so fresh. What does a monologuer do? They don't give you a chance to respond. They just keep going thing after thing, on and on and on. They'll give a break for you to reply or show your side of it. Correct. So they're, they're not giving you an opportunity to speak. However, that's a two-edged sword because you don't want to also be perceived as somebody who you're just listening to respond. So that, that's a challenge as well. But no, I've encountered a number of these type of people in my family. My husband has some of them in his family, more than I do because I have a very perfect family. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say things in jest here this afternoon. But um, no, he's got a brother-in-law and a sister who are very much monologuers. And my dad, we've had our families together doing activities, and my dad gets frustrated with them. Because my dad is one who, he's an excellent listener. Because my dad has to really concentrate on listening because my dad is somewhat hard of hearing. And even his hearing aids aren't that effective and uh, because it's a medical condition. And so um, he has to really concentrate. So he's concentrating, really taking in what you're saying, and he would like to respond back. He's a well-read man, um, but he's never given a chance when he's around them. And that frustrates him. And so, yeah, we just, I always make sure. Uh, how about the silent treatment? Is that a barrier to effective communication? <coughs> Silence. Sometimes the teacher's worst enemy. Many teachers don't like silence. All right. Um, I'm going to, we've talked about all these. Okay, let's go over some quick rules of effective communication. Rule number one, choose the right time and place. And you learn this the more you get to know the people you're working with, when is a good time to communicate with them. Now, it's easy for me to figure this out with my spouse because I've got that figured out. But every year when I get a new group of Pathfinders coming in, there's a whole new learning curve here as to the correct time to have good, effective communication with them. And this is, even though a lot of this is what we're talking about, that it's just kind of along the lines of general communication, I want us to always be thinking today the underlying impact it has on our club ministry and on the Pathfinders that you're interacting with. Um, I know, for instance, with my spouse, communicating with him on deep subjects first thing in the morning is a no-go. But the other thing he knows is that deep conversation with me late at night is a no-go. So middle of the day is our, we actually get lunches together most of the time. We're very lucky that way, and so we actually can have some good communication during that time, but I don't have an expectation of it in the morning or late in the evening. The next one, develop a pleasant tone of voice. I mean, usually when you're talking to somebody, generally, you might have a pleasant tone of voice, but what if it's, what if it's built around a conflict where you're going to have this conversation? Do you have a pleasant tone of voice? When you're going to have to talk to a group of pathfinders, do you have a pleasant tone of voice? One of my big things, and when you have a group as large as ours, um, it's hard not to, for lack of a better word, shout to get their attention and not to talk to them. So you need to have some sort of mechanisms in place, in my opinion, of which you need to be pleasant. Kids are going to respond more to your pleasant tones than you are to sh than they are to sharp tones. I have a couple. I have a guy in my um, one of my staff members right now. Um, he's a big teddy bear, 
But when he goes to get the Pathfinder's attention, it's very sharp sounding. And so I'm all the time having to tell him, back it down. So I bought one of those old-fashioned bicycle horns with the rubber thing on the end, and that's how I get my Pathfinder's attention. It's not overly loud. It's loud enough, and they now know that when that gets beeped, they quickly get into unit lines. And then they let me speak. So I'm not having to shout. My horn is doing the loudness for me, because actually since I've lost my voice for six weeks and had to have speech therapy, I'm not supposed to do any shouting. And that's really bad vocal hygiene for shouting. Were you going to say something, sir? Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, but in a tone of voice, in here, where there's no stress, there's no worry, uh, we're just calmly communicating objectives. Uh-huh. Um, in the Pathfinder Club, we were actually um, staff to Pathfinder. If you're wanting something of great importance to them, don't go down in the swamp where the rattlesnakes are. Uh, pleasant tone of voice, but yet conveying the seriousness of the message. Correct. And the other thing, so let me just kind of okay. get caught up here with you. So a pleasant tone of voice does not mean that you still can't give correction in your tone or give them, you know, don't go down there. But just to, and usually though, when it comes to like shouting, it sounds more like barking orders. And how well do you respond generally if somebody's barking orders at you? Our natural response is to be defensive. And that goes with these kids as well. So you can have those tough conversations with them, but you don't have to be shouting at them. Now, do I feel that every now and then a shout has to happen? Absolutely. If they're going to be running out in the street and there's a car coming... They're lucky I don't go tackle them and then kill them in the same time kind of thing. But no, it's just, there, there will be times, but generally speaking, keeping that pleasant sound. And I think you really kind of answered the second question, which was more probably in a staff setting than uh, staff pathfinding. Sometimes there are things that have happened that are, can be emotional or stressful. And keeping, trying to keep the stress and or emotion to a reasonable tone Right, so it is, emotions do play, you get into situations. I had one um, Pathfinder Fair time. I had two of my TLTs, a boy and a girl. They're not dating, but they're very good friends. But they, we had hammocks, some of the, the TLTs up at fair are allowed to hang hammocks and sleep in the hammocks. That's a privilege of being a TLT. Well, th these two decided that they were going to sit in his hammock together late at night, right before bedtime. And so when my staff members who were in charge of going around and doing bed check, couldn't first find her and then found her in his hammock. They were not being inappropriate. They were sitting there talking. However, inappropriate um, appearance. And so I had been working with my staff saying, I don't want you to respond to those situations negatively right at that moment. Back up. Take care of what needs to be taken care of. So they just said to them, to the one, you really need to go back to your own hammock. It is bedtime. And they said it nicely. Then um, I had already gone to bed, and so they had actually talked to me the next morning. The staff member came to me and said, hey, this is what happened last night. So they let me handle those situations. And so then I found an appropriate time during that day where I pulled the two of them aside, because I did not do this up front publicly, private matter, pulled two of those two aside and said, listen, I need to talk to you. They already knew what I was going to talk to them about. And I said, listen, we have talked about appearance. I says, I know you guys, and I know that your intentions aren't to appear to be doing anything inappropriate, but this is the appearance. And so I'll, um, I just want you to be aware of that. And they apologized to me. They went and apologized to the staff member for putting them in that situation as well. 
So, but this has been years of working with them. So it's not something that really kind of quickly happened overnight. But it's, it's kind of that time and place. Um, we have another young man who he can very quickly get angry. And when he gets angry, he totally shuts down. And then he doesn't want to listen to anybody, especially a woman. So I know that I'm not the one who needs to deal with him. I tap my deputy director, who's a guy, and I says, you know, so-and-so was having some challenge. I need you to take care of that. Where I actually, the guys, the men's staff on my, in my club, they're attuned to that now. And they'll see that this young man's starting to have some problems. And they'll just in, in, immediately go and intervene, which is great. I have a larger club and I have the larger staff to do that with. Sometimes you're the all-encompass person doing all of that. But again, um, I would say never criticize or anything in front of a group publicly. And number two, choosing that, you know, that part of choosing that right time and place. And I try to never talk to them with my emotion. Now, they did have a come to Jesus moment one time with me. And it shocked them to death because they had never seen me get upset with them like that. But that was more impacting to them than if I would be one who was all the time raising my voice then I just did this one time, and they just were, like, devastated. I had some of them crying because they felt like they had hurt my feelings and all that. So not that I go along making kids want to cry, but. <laughs> all right. Um, so be clear and specific. When you're talking to anybody and with kids, you always need to make sure that there's clear and specific instructions or the goals you want them to have. When you tell them, yeah, when they ask you, oh, hey, at Pathfinder Fair, I want to go around seeing my friends at other campsites, and you say, yes, be back shortly, that's not clear and specific enough. And I say a good rule is give them five minutes, tell them five minutes before you really want them to be there. And we've tested them, and we've told them right up front. We've said, hey. Those of you who've been with us a while, we've tested you. We know you can be back on time. It's your job to teach the younger ones coming in what that really means. And they do. It's really, it's an interesting phenomenon that can happen. But you as the leaders have got to build those rules and build those guidelines. And if you do it in such a way, the kids are just going to fall into place, generally speaking. But it takes time. Yes, Carla? Oh, what do I do to them? Um, well, there's usually um, some penalty of needing to have to be attached at my hip for the next few hours and do what I want to do, not at all what they want to do, with the exception of I do not go to the bathroom with them and they don't go to the bathroom with me. Um, there are some times that push-ups are required. Now, if a staff member gives a kid push-ups to do, the staff member has to do them with them because I didn't want my staff members just pushing out um, push-ups without thinking of the consequences um, because I don't think that's right either. That gives too much of authoritarian kind of, I'm going to, you don't behave, I get to do this to you. Um, now, I'm not allowed to do push-ups because of a repair in an elbow, but I can do planks. And so there was one Pathfinder meeting this year. I did five planks, five-minute um, planks consecutively, where I had like a 30-second break in between. And when they realized that I'm willing to do that, they're like, oh, hey, she means business. And always keep your word is another thing I'm, I'm a firm believer in. Be positive. I think we've kind of touched on this already. Kids like it when you're positive. Um, I do fist bumps with my kids. I make, we have funny picture time where we'll do funny pictures with them. You know, they, if they see me being crazy and goofy in appropriate ways and being positive about things, I always give them praise for the things that they've done well. And I do praise publicly, 
correction privately. That makes a big difference. Um, so this last year, our um, theme was half full for the conference. So it was wanting you to have carry, carry a song in my heart, be positive. So what I did is I went to Walmart and they have these little fleece blankets that are maybe three feet by four feet, if that. It's $2.50 a piece. I went and cleared out Walmart, $2.50 piece blankets. And at the end of every meeting, I gave out warm and fuzzy awards. Where if somebody had done something, or even my staff had noticed something, or sometimes kids had nominated other kids, they'd come up and tell me, Miss Marcia, so-and-so, they were really kind to me today and made me feel good. And so then I would, we would give out these awards. So that was publicly praising them. And you know what? Those blankets, I began seeing them all over the place. Like when we finally had our spring camping trip, uh, there was all kinds of warm and fuzzy awards with us. Because the kids began treasuring those things. It was $2.50 a kid that got them. You know, that made a difference. And they liked that. Rules. Be courteous and respectful. I'm just going to quickly run through those. Uh, be sensitive and develop the art of conversation. Deve this one's, you know, how do you develop an art of conversation? I'm going to stop here for a quick moment. How do you develop that conversation? Practicing, Practicing it. So you actually just have to do it. So don't feel bad if you fail it. You never fail. Don't do bad if you don't catch on at first or you have some challenges. That's not going to matter. Not at all. I am going to be reading you some questions. You are not to think a long time about the answers to these questions. Just write down the first thing that comes to mind, okay? I'm only going to say that question one time, and I will do my best to pronounce every word correctly. Okay, question number one. Johnny's mother had three children. The first child was named April. The second child was named May. What was the third child's name? Question number two. A clerk at a butcher shop stands 5 feet 10 inches tall and wears 13 sne size sneakers. What does he weigh? Number three. Before Mount Everest was discovered, what was the highest mountain in the world? Number four. How much dirt is there in a hole that measures two feet by three feet by four feet? Number five. What word in the English language is always spelled incorrectly? Number six, Billy was born on December 28th, yet her birthday always falls in the summer. How is that possible? Number seven, in British Columbia, you can't take a picture of a man with a wooden leg. Why not? Number eight, if you were running a race and you passed the person in second place, what place would you be in now? Number nine. Which is correct to say, the yolk of the egg is white or the yolk of the egg are white? Number ten. A farmer has five haystacks in one field and four haystacks in another. How many haystacks would he have if he combined them all in one field? And number 11, the last question. How many, how many of each species did Moses take aboard the ark? 
All right, let's grade them. <laughs> Number one. Johnny's mother had three children. The first child's name is April. The second child's name is May. What's the third child's name? Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> a clerk at a butcher shop stands 5 feet 10 inches tall and wears size 13 sneakers. What does he weigh? Meat. Meat. <laughs> oh, we're testing your listening skills, by the way. This is what we're doing right here. Before Mount Everest was discovered, what was the highest mountain in the world? Mount Everest. Mount Everest. It just hadn't been discovered. How much dirt is there in a hole that measures two feet by three feet by four feet? None. It's a hole. There's none. And I eat donut holes all the time. <laughs> it's the part around that gets me in trouble. <laughs> what word in the English language is always spelled incorrectly? Incorrectly. <laughs> um, Billy was born on December 28th, yet her birthday always falls in the summer. How is this possible? Southern Hemisphere. In British Columbia, you cannot take a picture of a man with a wooden leg. Why? <laughs> okay, the answer is <laughs> the wooden leg doesn't take the picture. Because <laughs> the question was, can you take a picture of a man with a wooden leg? So it's not that the man has a wooden leg, you can't take a wooden leg and take a picture. <laughs> okay, if you were running a race and you passed the person in second place, what place would you be in now? Second. <laughs> you passed the person in second place and you did not pass the first place person. So you're in second place. <laughs> So what's the correct saying? The yolk of the egg is white or the yolk of the egg are white? Yeah. Is neither because yolks are yellow. <laughs> okay, the farmer has a five haystacks in one field and four haystacks in another. How many haystacks would he have if he combined them all in one field? One big haystack. All right, and the last question. How many species of each animal did Moses take aboard the ark? None. It was Noah. <laughs> so, yes, I have an odd sense of humor. So, um, The other questions I have asked before would be, um, can a man in North Carolina marry his widow's sister? No, because he has a widow, that means he is dead. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there's... <laughs> anyway, so that just was a, a little test on your listening skills. Okay, effective methods of listening. So if you're going to be an effective listener, what kind of methods do you need to have? Be alert with your body language. Did you know... How much do you think of what we communicate is communicated through our body language? How much? Yes. Yes. Between 75-80%, depending on which study you read, comes from your body language. So that means a very little percent actually comes from your actual spoken words. Kind of scary, isn't it? But if somebody tells you... If you say, how are you doing? And they go, oh, I'm doing great. But they say it in a way of, oh, I'm doing great. Do you believe what they're saying? No, because we're listening to their body language. And that's important when you think about it. So you always have to be very aware 
as to what their body what body language is saying, even what messages you're sending out. Yes. Oh no, it doesn't. Not at all. You can, to be honest with you, the most effective communication will always be face-to-face. -face. The most effective. Because there's always missing the nonverbal. We will build in nonverbal communication into text messages, telephone conversations, um, emails. We will build in our own response to those. Yes, sir? Yes, somewhat. <laughs> you don't get a full body look, but you still, it's better than some of the others. Um, yeah. So I, we do um, web or video meetings with my siblings because my husband, I'm the only one that lives this far west. And I know this is not very far west, um, but they all live Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. And um, so probably once a month, we all get online and we visit with one another. And that's better than not. Yeah. 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 It really is. All right. So be a door. The next one is to be a door opener. Does that mean to physically go and hold a door opener, door open? What do you think being... Effective listening is the part of being a door opener. Where do you think that comes from? Any ideas? Yes. Asking questions. Getting clarification. That is how you open the door. <laughs> this cartoon always cracks me up. So the police officer feels like he's giving very solid instructions. And obviously, the person receiving them is not receiving those solid instructions. Yes. <laughs> Hamilton or Harrison, it's time we had a face-to-face -face conversation, also known as wireless communication. <laughs> Okay, active listening. So active listening. What do you think is, well, there's a description up here of active listening. So active listening means your whole body's engaged, your eyes are engaged, your, um, your body, like I said, your body language is engaged. An example of how this, you should not do this, is I went in one, uh, this has been a number of years ago, to, or to talk to the cell phone company about my service. And I walked in, and they had all these desks that their representatives were sitting at, and then one said, come over here, and you can sit down. And when I sat down, he's like, okay. And then this guy starts typing on his computer, reading a card that the last person had left him. So he wasn't even engaged in what I was saying. So I'm strong enough in my beliefs and how I feel people should communicate with me, I just stopped talking. And he then stops what he's doing. He goes, what? I'm listening. I go, well, no, you are not. Your mind was elsewhere while I was trying to get something across. I feel like I am not at all important to you. Am I important to you as a client? Well, yeah. I said, then treat me like I'm important to you. But this also happens when we're dealing with young people. How often are our minds so busy with the next thing that we brush off our young people? It happens way too often. And, our, and the young people want us to be actively involved in their lives. They desire that. And But this doesn't happen if you're not actively listening. And actively listening means that you're going to give them feedback. You're going to ask them questions. Even if you don't feel you have the time, you should do this. If you really, you know, if you really want to have that interaction with them, that solid relationship. But I challenge you with this, that any time you are doing a Pathfinder activity, 
And yes, you know that there's things that you need to get done that day during that activity. But start out your time even before you get there. Lord, I'm about ready to go into a Pathfinder activity. These are the things I feel I need to get done today. However, I understand you might have other plans. And so, God, I give my time to you, and I let you lead what needs to be done. When I have done that, my time goes much smoother. And my anxiousness about getting all these things done that I feel had to get done goes away. Sometimes I don't get any of those things done. Other times I get them all done. Maybe I only get a portion of them done. But at the end I can say, yeah, I did. I, did. I must have done what was most important to God that day. Now, how many of you were at fair this year, of which we had to do the quick pack up if you wanted to and you left early, maybe drove most of the night to get back home? Okay, so I was supposed to be calling parents, letting them know that we were going to be heading back and we were going to be staying at the church once we got there. But I kept getting interrupted. <laughs> Miss Marsha, Miss Marsha, Miss Marsha. And I, um, so much so that I knew that I had missed calling some people, but I didn't know who. There was four of them that I had missed. So, but I was, you know, I was okay with that in the end after I realized what I had done because I knew that I had had to answer those other kids' questions. But yet a part of me was just like, can't you just shut up and go away and ask somebody else? But for some reason, they need to ask me. So I have to be open to them asking me. And that's, that's really what's important. All right, active listening. So we're going to maintain good eye contact. Not like I'm doing now. Sit attentively. Act, act interested. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one here, I question the way they use that word act interested in. We really need to be interested because if you just act interested, it's called pseudo listening. And who's going to call you out on that quicker than anybody else? Children and teens are going to call you out on that. Do you really care what I'm saying? Well, I try to. Oh, yeah. What did they say back here? Um, let me go back here. Raise your eyebrows and nod your head. Smile or laugh when appropriate. Okay. This doesn't say roll your eyeballs. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, you know, some people have no filters. They talk about no filters on their mouth. My face has no filter. And so it is a struggle. <laughs> For me to not roll my eyeballs when I want to so bad. Because that's, I know. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I always have to try and come up with something else to do. <laughs> All right. So um, I'd like us to do a listening activity. All right. Another one? Yeah, another one. Um. So I'm just going to quickly do a recap. When you're talking to teens, these are the top things to know. Listen to them. This will not be on your papers because this is something I've pulled off extra. Listen to them. Validate their feelings. No matter what, do not tell. And really, it's not just teens, but when you're talking to anybody and they've expressed some feelings to themselves, don't tell them, no, you don't really need to feel that way. You need to let them have their feelings. It is important. So number three, show that you trust them. Show that they can trust you. Meaning that if they tell you something in confidence. Now, I know that there are times that parents have to be involved especially if there's abuse situations or not just parents but authorities. But there will be times of which 
you need to have conversations with them that they need to feel like they can trust you. Don't dictate to teens. Because I said so is really not the best way to go about when you're working with teens. They really need to understand the why. Not that they're questioning your every move, but they're learning reasons. And that's how they're growing. That questioning is them growing. Um, give praise. We've talked about that. Control your emotions. We've talked about that. The seventh one, do things together. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, this may be somewhat rhetorical or somewhat just a think question. Like send your kids out at maybe an, uh, to do an activity of which then you just stay sitting at the church in a chair or doing something else. Or do you get up and you interact with them? I would hope that you would interact with them. Now, given, understand, you don't have to do quite do everything with them. But for instance, a couple years ago at a TSO, when my club was a lot smaller, um, I had only brought up four teens with me, girls, I should say. The rest were boys. And it was Saturday night, and it was uh, 11 o'clock, and I had just got my pajamas on and crawled into bed. And they came in. Miss Marshall, we want to go for a walk around the boardwalk. Oh, I'm going in myself. I'm like, wait, no, I'm exhausted. But I didn't say it. And I thought, I have to practice what I preach to my own staff. So I got on my boots and we went out and we went around that boardwalk. I'm not saying that to brag on myself because the insides, I was having to talk to Jesus because he was really talking to me. <laughs> but it ended up being an awesome experience. Once I got over my feelings of being drug out of bed, and I was interacting with these kids. It was one of the best times I had had with them. And they, I've actually had probably three of them, came to me later and said, thank you for coming with us. We felt appreciated. We felt like you cared. And if you have a larger club, and I know Lansing's got a good-sized club, it's important to know as many of your kids' names as possible. And, and I've had to work very hard to specifically get to know names because they like to be called by their names as well. And that's part of validating them. And then the last thing that when doing some research, it said to share meals together. That's kind of more if you have a teenager in your home, but it's still important if you're camping with the kids. Don't just sit off with the other staff doing other things. You learn an awful lot about the craziness that goes along in kids' minds if you sit there and eat with them. And there's something about food that seems to loosen their tongues a lot. It really does happen. All right. Um, see, I ended up talking that whole time, and we didn't really do too much of an activity. I was going to have us do one. But um, we're kind of running out of time. So does anybody have any questions about listening, about communicating? We're going to be, our next session is all about, um, let's see, it's going to be more, on con we'll be talking about conflict management and conflict <laughs> styles and how to deal with conflict. So this was more on the listening skills and so forth. Um, so it goes along the lines of something like, Lord, I'm about ready to start a Pathfinder activity. This is what I feel I need to get done today. However, I know your plan is more important. So I'm giving myself and the club to you today and ask for your will to be done, basically. I pray this same prayer basically over my desk at work every day. That is correct. But my, my desk is the same way. Um, because when I first started, one of the things that I do at my regular work is a lot of it has to do with customer service or helping faculty or um, teachers build online courses. 
And so I never know when I'm going to get a phone call or somebody's going to pop into my um, video meeting space and need assistance because I help faculty all over the world. And um, But there'll be things, that projects I need to do. And so when I first kind of started at this, I found myself getting kind of, oh, I didn't get all these tasks done today. But when I changed my mindset to having to praying over my desk and realizing that my number one job um, kind of requirement of my work is called interruptions. <laughs> my, you know, if you would say, well, what describe your job, number one thing, interruptions. Once you get that mindset, then everything else seems to fall in place. Because I don't know about you, but I serve a God who made the sun stand still for Joshua. And if he can make the sun stand still and the time stand still, he can make my day go however he needs my day to go. And I'll get done that day what I need to get done. That has helped me greatly in dealing. Now keep in mind, do those kids drive me nuts every now and then? Yes, because that Saturday night after we left camp, and I knew we were going to head back to the church, get there about 2.15 in the morning, 2, 2.15, that we were going to have to deal with these kids at the church. So I was going to get sleep on the way home because I, I didn't have to sleep, be in the vehicle with kids. They were distributed. I was in my, the truck with my husband. So I pulled my hoodie over my head and leaned my seat back. And for the first 20 minutes, I couldn't go to sleep because every time I closed my eyes, I... I could almost feel them going on me. Miss Marsha, Miss Marsha, Miss Marsha. <laughs> For the first 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, this is driving me nuts. But yet, I love them dearly. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.